Father, I do thank you that you are ready, joyfully ready for everything in our lives. And Father, that you're ready for this moment, that you've looked into my life, you've looked into each of our lives. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, Father, you've prepared truth, you've prepared encouragement, you've prepared power and authority, you've prepared insight. Father, uh, just as, as has already been prayed, you've prepared everything necessary for us to keep growing. That we aren't stuck with our own stuff. You've brought your provision. You've brought your things to the mix. And Father, I pray that even as we study this moment in, in the early life of the church and the, the ministry of Peter and John, that we would grow in understanding how well prepared you are for our lives. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are looking into Acts chapter 3. And uh, in some ways, I will think of this as, as the third miraculous event in Acts. The first miraculous event being the outpouring of the Spirit on the on the young church evidenced by speaking in the languages of all the people who were gathered in jerusalem for the feast of pentecost um and that that was amazing by itself and then that was immediately followed by the miracle of peter's sermon they hear a man who had run to hide who had denied his lord with vehemence and and vulgarity this man now stood up to speak the simple truth of jesus as our Savior and our Lord, and over 3,000 men, women, and children were brought into kingdom through that one simple sermon. But now we have Peter and John on their way to the temple, um, and they're headed there because they're prepared to pray. They're prepared to, to keep their conversation with God going. And in verse 2, it says this, And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who are entering the temple. And, and this gate, uh, Bible scholars are not in 100% agreement on which gate is being spoken here, but it seems like the most likely gate. Uh, there's a gate also known as the double gate, and, and it's, a, it's a majestic entrance. There are, there are two large double gates open, and there's broad expanse of stairs rising up to those gates. And then within those gates, there are beautiful carved domes within, and, and those beautiful carved domes are still present in Jerusalem to this day. So the, the gates are not visible in quite the same way they would have been in Jesus' time, but that inner beauty is still present. Uh, but it would also most likely have been the main gate that people would have come and gone on. So somebody wanting to beg for alms would most likely have picked the double gate just so they could be accessible to all those people coming and going. And so here he is at the gate called Beautiful, begging for money. And again, this recognition, he's been lame since birth. So he's a full-grown man. So whether he's 25 years old, 45 years old, we don't know the details, but he has been lame since birth. And that recognition that because he's standing at, at one of the common entryways into the temple, we've talked about this before, but I'm going to pause to, to recognize it again. Uh, 
in terms of looking at God's planning for Peter's ministry and John's ministry, that we get to recognize this. Jesus had almost certainly walked by this lame man countless times. If you flip back with me to Matthew 26, this is Jesus at his trial as he's being evaluated for blasphemy and in preparation for his conviction and crucifixion. And when they first come and arrest him, he says this to the crowds that came out to arrest him. He says, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. And so here by Jesus' own words, he's making it clear. The temple was a normal part of his life. And so even though Jesus did travel around other parts of Jerusalem, I mean other parts of Israel, this temple in Jerusalem was a common place for him to be in, in teaching. And if you, in fact, you'll look over also at John 18. Same idea now, where in 1820, Jesus answers his accusers at the actual trial. He says, I've spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues in the temple where all the Jews come together and I spoke nothing in secret. So by Jesus' own words, we, we have his description. And then if you were to look through the Gospels, you would see mention after mention after mention where Jesus is going into the temple or coming out of the temple, where he's teaching at the temple. So Jesus is, is summarizing that three and a half years of ministry where he makes it clear the temple was a frequent part of his day of ministry. And that means Jesus walked by this lame man probably, very likely, dozens of times, at least dozens of times, and never stepped over there a few feet to heal this particular man. And, and that's going to come into play as we understand God's purposes and God's timing and God's design for Peter and John. So when that last passage in Matthew ends with, and all the disciples fled, that included John. Peter made it worse by all his you know, vehement promises that he was going to be faithful and then swearing up and down that he didn't even know Jesus. But all of them fled. All of them betrayed them, betrayed him. All of them ran in fear at the moment when, when you would have expected and hoped that they would stand faithfully by Jesus in faith. But now Peter and John, something is very different for them, and, and I hope we keep remembering this. We're not looking at human endeavors now. That Because of what we saw happening in Acts 2, we're now looking at a Peter and John that are immersed and filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit, that both Peter and John are different men now than they were when they ran and hid. They're different men now than when they denied Jesus to protect their own lives. That now there is an access and, and an equipping that is just immediately available to them. And so that's, that's sort of the background recognition. Um, 
And actually, if you'll turn to Ephesians for just a second, uh, I want to apply this to Peter and John. But then obviously the wisdom for you and I is, wait a minute, I want to, I want to read these things. I want to read this event in Peter and John's ministry, this event in the early church. And now I want to read this true as it applies to me so that you and I put ourselves in this mix. We put ourselves into this principle of how the Holy Spirit operates. So Ephesians 2.10, after talking about our, our salvation as a gift, uh, nothing we earned but through faith by grace. And in verse 10, he says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So one of the, one of the things, we get to sort of stand back and look at this and, and to see Jesus as a thinking, planning Lord, even while he was on planet Earth in his ministry, Jesus was already looking ahead and thinking and planning as Lord and craftsman over the life and ministry of Peter, over the life and ministry of John. Where, and, and I'm imagining this, Scripture doesn't say this, but where Jesus would say, as he saw that lame man, as he's going up the steps into the beautiful gate and he's headed to the temple, that some part of Jesus is joyful and smiling on the inside knowing there is a day and a time and a moment when I'm going to accomplish your healing. I'm not ignoring you. I'm not turning a blind eye to your need. I promise you, I am joyfully preparing for the day of your healing. But I'm also preparing joyfully for how as a craftsman, I've designed that to be a part of John's ministry and Peter's ministry. And they're going to be amazed and blown away at how I use them in that moment. And everyone around them will be amazed and blown away at how I use them in that moment. Because it will be me doing it through them. One of the things that, that comes to real clearly in the teaching of the Holy Spirit and its place in the body of Christ is, and even in that phrase, the body of Christ is that now you and I, we are the hands of Jesus, we are the feet of Jesus, we are the voice of Jesus, we are the ears, the listening, compassionate ears of Jesus. We, we are the strength of Jesus. We are the endurance of Jesus. We are the body of Christ on planet Earth, carrying out his purposes. But what Ephesians 2.10 has added to that reality that is personal for you, and I, and I really pray, and I mean this, I hope that I pause and, and pray and that you pause and pray with the determination, Father, I want to take this truth deeper into my thinking. You have prepared works for me to accomplish. Works that absolutely depend on your Holy Spirit. Works that are absolutely the outworking that you are the head and I am a portion of the body and you're going to work through me. But the way Ephesians 2.10 says it is these were works planned and prepared before the foundations of the earth. That there is a purposefulness to your life. Now, if I were going to ask you, uh, and I could raise, ask a for a show of hands, and I asked, how many of you have ever felt like your life was just random chaos? You had no control. It was just the next thing hitting you, the next thing hitting you, and the next thing hitting you. And furthermore, 
if I ask, and have you ever felt that way even after you were a believer? And I would expect that there would be a pretty good number of hands. And then if I even made it more personal and embarrassing, and I said, how many of you feel that way right now? There would be at least a few hands, even if you were too embarrassed to raise them. You would want to raise it. That moment, that season, that day, that, that month, that year, that situation where we feel like we are immersed in chaos, that you and I get to agree with Peter and John, you and I get to agree with the Word of God, you and I get to agree with Paul as he's writing in Ephesians 2.10. Father, there may be a lot about my life that looks like chaos and feels like chaos, particularly if it's the result of my own sin or if it's the result of others sinning against me. There may be a lot in my life that feels like chaos. And then on top of my sin and other people's sin, there's just the brokenness of this universe that adds that flavor of chaos, of accidents and diseases and setbacks and firings and demotions and layoffs and, and unexpected bills and all kinds of disappointments in life and tragedies in life and losses and sorrows in life that feel like chaos. But that you and I would genuinely comprehend the heart of God toward us to say, but Father, I am determined to go further in this agreement. I agree with you that today, every today, today is a day that you saw and prepared for. In Psalm 139, we won't go look there, but where, where God promises, he has seen all the days of your life before you live them. Ephesians 1 promises that for all those foreseen and, and looked ahead days, he has prepared spiritual blessing for every day. But now along with his seeing and his blessing, he's adding one more thing. As I've looked into each one of those days for you, my son, as I've looked into each one of those things for you, my beloved daughter, I have prepared purpose for each one of those days. I've prepared things that are designed for you to accomplish. So Jesus could have just walked up to that lame man any time in his ministry when he was going to the temple. And Jesus could have accomplished that man's healing. And what we don't know is there may have been other things that God wanted to keep working on to prepare that man's heart for healing. So that on the day of his healing, he wouldn't go running off to indulge the flesh but he would rise up and begin praising God, as we see twice in that passage, walking and leaping and praising God. He was ready to give credit to whom credit was due at his healing. How he would have received that healing earlier, we don't know. But we know that on this day, through Peter and John being faithful and present and carrying out the good work that God had foreordained for them on that day and in that moment, they got to play a role, and then this man got to respond to that by turning his heart to genuinely honor God and praise God in his life. Now, again, the fact that this, this man hadn't just had a car accident and God healed him. This, this man just didn't get sick and God helped him feel better. This man had been lame his entire life. And, and I like that when Jesus does miracles in Scripture. Uh, he fixes the whole system. So uh, Carrie and I just recently uh, have seen two or three times where uh, deer gave birth to a fawn. Uh, 
near in our yard or, or near our house, and we've watched that process. And everything's working fine, but that fawn can't walk yet. They wobble, they fall, they collapse. They're going to have to take a while for their brain to get used to giving the right signals and getting the right feedback. And in a very short time, they will be walking. But the system has to learn it quickly. The system has to gain that expertise. And we even know that in, in surgeries and other things that give somebody back the use of a leg or the use of an arm or the use even now of eyes, amazing things being accomplished. That now there's a learning process while the brain gets familiar with that appendage or that organ and that organ or that appendage gets used to receiving information and, and instructions from the brain. There's a restoration process. There's a learning process. And this man, his whole system was healed. So it doesn't say he got up and tripped and stumbled around, which is exactly what we would have expected. He was walking and leaping. And in fact, I, I bet that was part of his joy was I'm not just stuck to sort of very carefully wobbling around the room and hanging on the walls and leaning on the next piece of furniture. God has healed my entire system and I'm ready for leaping, so I will. And without getting too obtuse or, or, or bizarre about this, the, our recognition that when we go to God for healing, that we trust him for deeper things than we could predict in the natural. And I don't mean just physical healing, although our fellowship and, and most of us have actually witnessed God do physical healings in many situations. But we've also seen other times when God says, no, that's not my plan. That's actually not my timing, and that's not the good work I'm going to accomplish right now because I'm going for something deeper. But that when God's going for the healing and the restoration of a relationship, that we wait on him and we trust him for deeper things than a quick superficial fix. When God is helping us to overcome a pattern of sin in our life, when he's helping us to overcome a pattern of, of weakness in the face of certain temptations, that we say, Father, I want to persist in this for great strength. I like the way Romans 8 says it, that we're preparing to overwhelmingly conquer the enemy. We're not ready to, to learn and, and receive the help and power of God so we just break even. That in your spiritual walk, so that pause for a moment and consider, where are you praying and seeking God to help you grow? Where are you praying and seeking for God to heal damages in your heart or mind? To take you further in your walk with him or your understanding of the word or your living out of the word? And that you and I, again, without being clever or facetious, we would say, Father, I don't want to just get enough to stumble. I want to get enough to walk. And I want to gain enough to leap. I want to go further than the natural because I'm doing this with you. I want my overcoming of this temptation. I want my growing in this quality of the spirit and love or joy or peace. You know, it's really interesting because. That list, Galatians 5, 23, uh, there's nine things in that list. And I think for most of the people I've counseled with through, through all the past 35, whatever, four, almost 40 years of counseling, 
most people stop at those first three and go, I'm still learning those three. Love, joy, peace. And that you and I would determine this. So again, please, very seriously, in a, in a conversation with God right now, even just looking at those three qualities, Father, are there areas in my life? Are there people in my life? Are there situations in my life or particular settings in my life where my flesh stands against love? Where there's something in me that doesn't want to melt into love, whether I'm holding a grudge or unforgiveness, whether I'm fearful, whether I'm untrusting because of things in my past. Father, I want something genuine and supernatural growing between you that means I go further into love than could be naturally predicted. And then peace. Father, I want a peace of mind because I grow deeper in trusting you. I grow deeper in comprehending your promises. And I, do, I don't just settle for knowing that I should go deeper. I start gathering the word to study it and ponder it and think about it. If I need a deeper confidence in your promises, Father, I better immerse myself in your promises. And I've seen so many people in, in this area of peace is actually, and joy, both together, is one of the main ones where I see believers begging God passionately, genuinely, sincerely begging God to zap them with joy and peace. And it just so happens that joy and peace are two things that's, that the New Testament puts in my hands to grow in. I have to immerse myself in a mindset of trust that leads to peace. I have to gather the promises that reaffirm the thinking that leads to peace. I have to repudiate and uproot and discard every belief and every false way of looking at the world in my life and every false way of talking about my history or God or me that gets in the way of joy and gets in the way of peace. I have to uproot them and discard them. And he says, and then, and then you will experience peace. Do it this way, and then you will experience joy. And, and even with love, God would not have to keep commanding us to grow in love if I just said, well, God, just zap me with love. And over and over again, if we're praying for love, joy, and peace to grow in our life, and even in great faith, we're sitting back and going, Father, zap me. Give me more of that. That partly means I've not taken the word of God seriously when he puts the growth of those things into my hands to walk the steps of growth and then he does and this is the zapping part then he does bring supernatural growth to them but i have to say father i want something larger than the than the natural i want the supernatural i want something that could only come from you but i'm also willing to do the things you've commanded of me to get so we see in this man a response to the supernatural that meant something more was accomplished in him. He was ready for leaping. And going back to, to this passage in Acts, I still want to, to look at this part of it. Um, it says, when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, verse 3, he began asking to receive alms. And, and it just so happens that 
Peter and John don't have any homes. They don't have any money. And as they're preparing to go into the temple, they pause and they recognize this. We have been equipped for, equipped for something different than alms. So we're going to give you what we have. And so two things I would, I would hope that we pull out of this. One is the recognition that if God is the one foreplanning my day and foreplanning my opportunities for ministry, and he's foreplanning good works for me to accomplish, and that I recognize this, something I have is enough to give for this moment. And it may be physical, it, it may be spiritual, it may be emotional, but the bottom line is, I have something to offer into this. I want to be ready and attentive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Peter and John were attentive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It was not a normal part of their thinking to just walk around healing everybody. But they were ready for it. They were ready to hear from God. And they made that choice. But that hopefully you and I are recognizing this. Father, if, if there's something in me, and, and I know I've heard this from, from several of you through the years. I know I've said it myself. Uh, I frequently still catch myself thinking it and then have to oppose this thinking. And that's basically to tell God he picked the wrong guy. He picked the wrong man or the wrong, wrong woman or the wrong child. And God's saying, I, I don't pick the wrong people. If I've put you in this moment, there is something you are genuinely equipped to offer. And whether you simply offer prayer, whether you offer a simple word of encouragement. So it may not be that I put you in this position because you have some amazingly impressive gift that's going to fix the situation. But I have put you in this moment to fulfill your calling, your role, and your purpose. And we even have this, uh, if, you'll, if you'll turn over to Colossians 3.22. And he's talking to slaves here. Uh, so we'll just read this. But the truth clearly applies to all of us. In Colossians 3, chapter, starting at verse 22. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And so again, whether it's just a simple, I'm just going to pray for this person, or I'm going to offer them a little bit of help, but it's, Father, it's so little. What I have to offer is so little. That God is elevating that above, again, above the natural and above the definition you and I would give it that it's insufficient or it's ineffective. It's not enough. It's not impressive enough. Because he adds this component to it. He says, do it unto the Lord. Add that super, supernatural element to the simplest choice you do. So whether you're helping to arrange furniture in the church sanctuary, whether you're preparing coffee and donuts, when we finally get back to the point where we can do coffee and donuts, whether you're teaching a Sunday school class or whether you're preaching to a, to a crowd of thousands, that whatever 
your calling and your purpose in this moment, please have the wisdom to choose the supernatural. Please have the wisdom to choose the supernatural. And that now takes it into our homes and into our family relationships, into school and work and into the neighborhood. That God's saying, I want you to go into all of those areas and all those situations with a thoughtfulness about this. I've set you foreordained to accomplish my good works. And I've also sent you well prepared with the power of my Holy Spirit so that you can do it for me and it becomes eternally valuable. So when he says, it is the Lord who's going to reward that, that simple thing done under the Lord. And, and we have in Ecclesiastes too that same thought. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it mightily under the Lord. Do it mightily. Bring passion. Bring purpose. Bring a sense of genuine agreement with God. It matters to do this thing. And because I'm doing it for you, it won't be sloppy. It, it won't be careless. It won't be unloving. And even if all I can do in some situations is pray for somebody, then, Father, let's get after it. Let's go do powerfully, supernaturally effective prayer. And if all I can do is help them a little bit, then I'm praying that you would take my little bit of help and magnify it. We, we had read for us the passage out of Luke 21 where Jesus is looking at the widow and he's watched people come by with their big bags of offering. And then the widow drops in two copper coins. And Jesus gets his disciples' attention for, for an observation he wants them to understand and take deep. Because I'm sure the disciples would have been impressed at the, at the bags of money that were being brought in, the big piles, the, the roll of, of gold coins. And why, why in the world would Jesus possibly be impressed with two copper coins? And it's because Jesus is discerning that woman's situation and he recognizes the depth of her offering. All she had was a little. This is profound. All she had was a little, but she offered all of it to God. Now, I would like to, every now and then, I imagine this, and I bet some of you too, every now and then, when we hear a story in scripture, I go, I wish there was an appendix somewhere in the Bible that said, and here's the rest of that story. Uh, I can't remember what that guy's name would do it on the radio. Um, here's the rest of the story. Because I would like to know the follow-up in this widow's life. Of how God blessed her. How God took care of her. How God provided for her. But here's what I know for a fact. Even though I can't go to Appendix B and, and read the rest of this widow's story. I know God enough to know she was honored. <laughs> she was cared for. She was provided for. And she may have remained poor till the day she died. And in her poverty, day after day after day, God was her sufficient provider. And she kept that heart of love toward God. And maybe every time God put two copper coins in her purse, she went running to the temple so she could give them again, knowing that God was going to take care of her. But also, part of the rest of the story, the genuine supernatural rest of the story for that widow, is that actual widow 
ended up in God's presence one day. And he welcomed her with joy. And angels and other believers gathered around to welcome her with joy because she's a hero in the kingdom. And Jesus himself greeted her with, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because of her impressive gift, but because of a heart that said, but what I have, God, what I have is yours. And if all you've entrusted to me is two copper coins, or all you've entrusted to me is the opportunity to pray, or all you've entrusted to me is the opportunity to make a lasagna and take it over to that family while they're going through a hard time, then, Father, let's get on with it. Let's do the supernatural thing that pleases you. And Peter and John were faithful to their calling. And it led to a miraculous miracle that impressed the citizens of Jerusalem and brought more attention to the gospel. Because that was the point and the purpose at that moment. But even if it's a miracle of, of God's working invisibly, because it's still a miracle, and even if no one else will ever know what you did in agreement with God, that you and I get to have that same wisdom. And Father, I want to be listening to your spirit. I want to stop denigrating my preparation, which is really denigrating your preparation. I want to stop denigrating what I have to offer, which is really denigrating what you have promised to offer through me. I want to stop the negative talk that acts as if I don't have a living God who keeps his promises, and I did not receive the Holy Spirit. I want to stop that talk and start saying, Father, if this is the moment you have for me to do ministry, I'm equipped for ministry. And whether my ministry will be small and no one ever sees it, whether it will be impressive and, and others notice it, Father, that's not the point. I want to do it to please you. I want to offer it up to please you. And I want to do it as Jesus says. In fact, let's, let's go to John again, John 15. Number you read it, verse 4 and 5. John 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I know I bring that passage up real frequently, but it's worth going deeper into that passage of awareness. He's not just saying, if you just believe in me, you'll bear much fruit. Because we have believers in Scripture who believed in him. Their salvation is not questioned, but they're busy doing damage to the body. This is a believer who's abiding in Jesus. And he's saying, you keep this dialogue going on. You keep listening to my word and taking my word into you. You keep abiding in my love and letting my words of authority and promise abide in you. You keep drawing life from me, and you keep remembering that apart from me, you can do nothing. And then I can get majestic things done through you. Even if they're quiet and nobody else sees them, they will be majestic for eternity. But every now and then, others may notice. Every now and then, they may be impressive. And so we're not assigning that to God. I had somebody recently in counseling who actually said that. They were praying for gifts 
because they wanted to do mighty things for God. And as we talked about it, it was real clear what he was praying for was he wanted to be the next Billy Graham or, or the next uh, James, uh, Peter, and John. He wanted to be the next something that would do majestic, impressive things for God and bring the, the thousands to the kingdom. And what we then talked about, which is a very biblical principle, is instead of waiting for the majestic thing, do the thing that's right in front of you. Go forgive your brother who offended you three years ago and really forgive him because you believe in the death of Jesus Christ for his sin. Really forgive him. That will be profound and miraculous. Go offer your wife to help with the dishes or the vacuuming so she can rest. Go offer your husband your companionship at a time when otherwise you'd rather be involved with something else. Go offer your parents your presence, your honor, your help, your involvement in the family at a time when they've gotten used to you separating yourself to just be with your friends. Do the supernatural thing and the thing that's in front of us. And then if God has something impressive to accomplish, we're already listening to him and walking with him. And now he can steer us to the majestic thing, to the big thing, to the impressive thing if and only if that's his plan. But that that's not our focus and that's not our goal. Our goal is to do it mightily unto him, even if it's as simple as giving a glass of water. Well, we are gonna, we're gonna leave James and John for now. We will come back and continue with them next week. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that Peter and John simply did what you equip me and each one of us to do. They listened to you and they, they did what you asked of them. And you provided the power. Father, there was nothing in Peter and John that could have led to this healing. And I also thank you, Father, that Peter was wise enough to recognize, but he now did possess the name, the power, the authority, and the purposes of Jesus Christ so that he could give that as a gift to someone else. And Father, I pray that your spirit would be helping me and helping each one of us, that we would grow in this. I own the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus belongs to me. And not the name as a word spoken that has some kind of magical property. Not a charm as if we're superstitious and we learn the code word. But the fullness of everything that Jesus is. The fullness of Jesus' power, his authority, what he accomplished through his death, what he accomplished through his resurrection, what he now accomplishes seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. His purposes, his heart, his passions, his goals. That when I name the name of Jesus, when each one of us claim the name of Jesus, that we always recognize we are choosing the whole package of everything that Jesus is about. And that's what we offer to those around us. Father, thank you that your Holy Spirit equipped them to do this miracle. Thank you that you use this miracle to draw even more people to the young body of Christ. But thank you that that same principle of your miraculous work, even in the simplest act, is still available to every single one of us who has put our faith in Jesus Christ. 
Father, I pray that you'd help me to go into my week and help each one of us to go into our week where we actually agree to think that way more this week than we did last week. To see our day as a day filled with purposes that you planned before the foundations of the world, that we're looking for them and we're ready to say yes. And that we would keep our eyes close in front of us. Father, that we wouldn't be looking so far ahead to the big thing or the majestic thing or the impressive thing. That we would fail to see the good purposes you prepared for us. Right in our homes, right at our jobs, right at school, right in our friendships or our neighborhoods. Right in front of us. That we would see the majestic good things you prepared. And we would say yes. We would just say yes. And we would pick them up joyfully to do them. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.